Welcome back to the 20th and Blake podcast from Mile High Sports. As always, I'm your host, Cade Walker, and today I'm recording this on the night of the 25th of January 2021, uh, which means tomorrow, or uh, today, I guess, if you're listening to this on the 26th, uh, will be the day that the Hall of Fame results for this year's cycle, this year's ballot, are announced. Um, And in that spirit, I want to give you guys my ballot, my personal ballot, um, break down the uh, players who I'd vote for, um, the reasonings, and, you know, uh, some reasonings on on some players I I wouldn't vote for as well. Um, So uh, with that in mind, I'll jump into it. Uh, But first, I did want to mention um, that, I mean, there's not really too much Colorado Rockies news. Uh, I know this is a Rockies podcast. Uh, Some people are speculating that the Colorado Rockies are honing in on Mitch Moreland, uh, which if you remember, Mitch Moreland was definitely one of the the free agency guys I uh, recommended for Colorado. I think that would fit. uh, I think that would fit fairly well. Um, I think uh, Bob Nightingale also reported that the Rockies were also monitoring center field options. And I think Jackie Bradley Jr., I know former Red Sox, um, Jackie Bradley Jr. was tossed around as an idea. Um, if that doesn't end up working out, if something doesn't really end up um, going the way uh, that Colorado wants it to, they might end up just uh, re-signing Kevin Pillar, which I would be a little bit irate with. But, um, uh, uh, I mean, you know, I could talk about that um, when such a transaction happens. Um, so, moving on to the Hall of Fame ballot, uh, I'll start off with, I think there's there's a very clear... Uh, candidate for me and if you go to uh, Ryan Thibodeau on Twitter at not Mr. Tibbs um, he has a tracker for all of the votes that have uh, been in so far and uh, only one person has actually broken the 75% mark of the publicly available ballots and almost always um, these players drop off uh, after uh, all the private ballots and anonymous ballots are in so uh, it doesn't look like anybody's going to be elected this year, but uh, here's here's what my ballot would look like roughly. So number one, I think a, a very obvious pick for me is Scott Rowland. Uh, Scott Rowland was he was uh, definitely an above average offensive player, uh, in career OPS of eight fifty five, which is fantastic, uh, and it, he was one of the better fielding third basemen of his day. Um, uh, the you know, 2000s era as well. I mean, he had some fairly decent longevity, a very good, uh, very decent peak. Um, He was great on both sides of the ball. And I think he was, he was one of the better third basemen uh, over his career. I mean, the combination of longevity and, and peak that he had, I think it just uh, gives him a shoe in. And I mean, if you look at the wins above replacement numbers, um, he ended up, with his career at 70.1, which is actually above the average Hall of Fame player. Uh, so I think my philosophy with the Hall of Fame is I'm not necessarily a small hall guy. Um, I think baseball has a smaller Hall of Fame, a significantly smaller Hall of Fame and more restrictive Hall of Fame than most of the other professional sports. Uh, like take basketball, for example. I think they have like roughly like twice the amount of players that played in the league as a percentage 
make it into the Hall of Fame in the NBA uh, compared to um, the MLB. And while I do think that basketball's Hall of Fame is a little bit too open, I think baseball could stand to be a little bit less uh, restrictive. Uh, I mean, I think Scott Rowland, like he was, he was fairly dominant over his whole career. I think that's that's a very good, very good candidate to make it in. I mean, Larry Walker is, uh, he made it in last year, and that was definitely a, a great moment to celebrate. Uh, but it was just confusing how he came so close to not making it. He made it in on his final year, and by uh, barely, barely over uh, just a couple percentage points just a couple of votes, a handful of votes. So, I mean, considering all that, I think baseball could stand to be a little bit more more open to its approach uh, about the Hall of Fame. So that's just my philosophy. Um, so, yeah, Scott Rowland makes it a pretty easy decision for me. Uh, the second guy in my ballot shouldn't be a surprise to any of you listening, and that would be Todd Helton. Uh, Todd Helton is... I mean, I, I made this case uh, several episodes ago on this podcast. Very clear Hall of Fame player for me. Um, he was robbed of MVP once in his career. Probably robbed of Rookie of the Year as well. Um, just, just because he played in Coors. But he had fantastic longevity, fantastic peak. Was one of the best defensive first basemen uh, of the past couple of decades. And was offensively dominant as well. I mean, there was there was nothing bad that you could say about Todd Helton's uh, baseball career. Uh, a couple of knocks against him were just some some of his post career um, endeavors. Uh, I mean, he had I believe he had uh, a DUI, which uh, I have an opinion on the the quote unquote character flaw, uh, character clause, right? So. A lot of players um, have definitely done and said some things that may may make voters not want to vote for them, right? Um, and I'll talk about a couple of these guys coming up. Uh, but I mean, I think my philosophy is that if you didn't actively hurt someone, if you didn't um, commit any type of um, like high level high level crime, something that's that's just morally egregious. Um, I don't think that it should be counted too heavily against you. Like a DUI, definitely something serious. I don't think it should be counted against Todd Helton in his Hall of Fame case. Uh, number three on this list would be Bobby Abreu. Uh, now, Bobby Abreu has an interesting case because, you know, he wasn't really considered. I, he only made, I think, one All-Star game, uh, maybe two. Uh, so, I mean, he wasn't really considered, like, you know, a super high-end player for most of his career. But, I mean, if you look at it, he had the longevity numbers and he had the numbers to, uh, you know, compete with some of the best in the best, uh, best of the best during his career. You know, I, he ended up posting about, I think, a 60.2 wins above replacement for his career. And that's above guys like Willie Stargell and Vladimir Guerrero, who are, you know, very clear-cut Hall of Famers. So, I mean, all things considered, I think Bobby Abreu, carved out just by the numbers uh, an impressive hall of fame career and i mean players who or people who follow baseball know who bobby abreu is right i mean he's he's a great player I mean, he's fantastic defensively i think that was what he's one of the more underrated uh defensive players um in, in uh recent memory so i think that's uh that's definitely something to um, count for him and i think i think he deserves to be on the ballot after that i have andrew jones 
Uh, Andrew Jones is also a fairly a fairly easy case for me. Uh, so if we look at the average wins above replacement for a Hall of Fame player, uh, for both pitchers and hitters, actually the average is uh, 69 wins above replacement. Um, so uh, someone like Bobby Abreu would be still slightly below the average Hall of Fame um, player. Uh, someone like Scott Rowland would be above the average Hall of Fame player. Uh, but again, I do think that those numbers should probably be lowered, a little bit less restrictive. Um, I don't I don't even think Hall of Fame should be purely based off of war. I mean, I, I think there should be even room for narrative, which, um, I mean, I don't typically subscribe to as, as a media member. Like, I don't, I don't, try to push narratives as uh, driving forces in awards or, or things like that. But I mean, in the Hall of Fame, I think there's there's a little bit that it counts for. Um, but I think it should be mostly statistically based. Andrew Jones, I think, just from a purely statistical perspective, has a case. Um, he has the, the same amount of wins above replacement as Homer and Baker, who was uh, the ultimate power hitter before Babe Ruth. So in the dead ball era, I think he capped out at 11 home runs uh, in his best season. But I mean, and then you have, he has more wins above replacement than, than Jackie Robinson, which uh, Jackie Robinson made it in for more than just his baseball. I, I think Jackie Robinson was a hall of famer just be, not because of just his baseball career, but I think his baseball career was also hall of fame worthy. So, um, but he has, uh, anyways, back to Andrew Jones, he has higher wins above replacement than, Harmon Killebrew, uh, Mike Piazza, Yogi Berra. I mean, these guys are uh, Hall of Famers in all of these guys' in, in, in almost everyone's mind. And Andrew Jones surpasses them in the statistical case, um, at least in the in the stat that boils everything down into one number. Um, and Andrew Jones, I mean, he was all around very solid. He didn't have deficiencies in his game, uh, didn't have off-field issues either. So I think Andrew Jones is a, a very clear-cut Hall of Fame player to me. Um, after Andrew Jones, I did have Manny Ramirez on my ballot. Um, so I'm going to talk about Manny Ramirez um, a little bit later. Just want to mention he's on here. Uh, I, I, I do want to talk about him kind of holistically in a group setting uh, with a couple other players. After that, so uh, with those names, I also would vote for Billy Wagner. Billy Wagner... Uh, Maybe, you know, in terms of just pure wins above replacement, Billy Wagner, maybe, you know, not the greatest in terms of wins above replacement. I mean, only put up 27.7, which is significantly below the average um, player in the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, something you have to consider here is that it's very difficult for relievers to rack up wins above replacement. Very solid cumulative stats that you would like to see. Uh, but, you know, one thing Billy Wagner was is that he was the most dominant reliever. Uh, well, maybe not the most dominant reliever, but a top three dominant reliever during his career behind maybe Trevor Hoffman and Mariano Rivera. Uh, but he's a, a top five reliever all time. And I think if you're top five at your position, then you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and that's just I think that's that's fairly easy to argue, and that's my stance on it. So Billy Wagner is definitely on my ballot. So I think out of the – I think I gave six players, Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Bobby Abreu, um, Billy Wagner, Andrew Jones. So I gave you five. Someone I want to mention 
um, after these first five is Mark Burley. Mark Burley, it's his first year on the ballot. And so far through the tracker, he has um, 14 total ballots. So he's at 7%, 7.7%. If he does not finish above 5%, then he falls off. So my my case for voting for Mark Burley is simply the fact that um, he I think he deserves a shot. I don't necessarily think he's a Hall of Fame player, but I think he deserves to stay on the ballot. So my ballot would be more of a strategic play to keep him on the ballot, to keep a, a discussion going around him. Because, I mean, he posted 60 wins above replacement as a starting pitcher, and I, that's above some fairly large names, you know. I mean, uh, that above names like uh, Mordecai Brown, Whitey Ford, uh, Sandy Koufax, even though Sandy Koufax had a, his career cut short, um, Hoyt Wilhelm, like, I mean, these were uh, pretty legitimate pitchers and Hall of Fame players by uh, most people's standards. So I think Bark Burley at least deserves a conversation around him. So by keeping him on the, by voting for him, I would vote to keep him uh, on the ballot uh, because I think he is definitely in danger of falling off. Okay, so after those first six, I want to group these last four a little bit and talk about them as sort of a separate issue. Um, Three of them are admitted users of player uh, or of performance enhancing drugs uh, Barry Bonds Roger Clemens Manny Ramirez now I think the two big ones uh, both of them have similar numbers uh, if you look at the tracker both Barry Bonds and uh, Roger Clemens are at 72 percent um, Bonds is actually a half percentage point ahead of him so I think he receives an additional vote so I guess I, I have to explain why I think these players would be on my ballot. Um, you know, initially I think, hey, um, these guys compromise the integrity of the game um, by taking steroids. And I, I think unquestionably, unquestionably, um, these players without steroids would be Hall of Fame players. Uh, steroids don't add an additional... 10 war to your career in the case of Manny Ramirez. They don't add an additional, like, I don't know, 40, 50 in the case of Barry Bonds. Um, I, I think Barry Bonds was on track to becoming a Hall of Fame player before he ballooned. Um, I think Manny Ramirez would have finished with uh, probably similar to maybe like an Andrew Jones because um, he finished with uh, above 70 wins above replacement. So I think uh, I, my argument is is mostly just um, these players played incredible careers. They had uh, fantastic careers. They were great baseball players. Uh, I think Barry Bonds may have. I mean, all, actually, you know, I think all of these players have had uh, their issues on and off the field, both in terms of uh, performance enhancing drugs and otherwise. Um, but I mean, if we're talking about baseball, um, and we're talking about the, the hall of fame, why, like, why do we vote players into the hall of fame? Um, the concept of voting players in the hall of fame is, you know, to, to honor these guys as, you know, the greatest players to ever play the game of baseball. And Roger Clemens was the most dominant pitcher in his era. I am willing to bet that he would have been similarly dominant without player enhancing drugs. Um, 
Barry Bonds, similar case there. Uh, he was, I mean, just by the numbers, the greatest hitter of all time, um, at least, at least in the modern era. And without steroids, I think he probably would not have reached those levels, but he still would have been incredibly dominant. Uh, someone who hasn't taken steroids, uh, Mike Trout. Someone I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sure they test him <laughs> uh, with his performances. And Mike Trout's a future Hall of Famer, no doubt. And, I mean, even he's not putting up the numbers that Bonds was in his prime. Uh, And, I mean, maybe maybe without steroids, Barry Bonds maybe looks closer to, like, a Mike Trout level of player. Maybe not as good, but, you know, that's still in the ballpark, you know. Um, So I think just in the concept, uh, the principle of the Hall of Fame, I think you got to have those guys in. Uh, Manny Ramirez also similar, um, though not to the scale of Bonds and Clemens. He was uh, also dominant at his peak, uh, one of the, one of the better offensive players of his time. And uh, I mean, it's it's difficult to to tell the story of um, 2000s baseball without mentioning Manny Ramirez. Especially, you know, thinking back to 2007 uh, Red Sox team um, and even earlier teams as well, those Red Sox teams uh, with, you know, David Ortiz, uh, Kevin Euclid and, uh, you know, that, that, that squad as well. So, I mean, that's my argument. Maybe if you don't agree, if you think, you know, just the, the principle of taking steroids should disqualify someone from the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm not even going to heavily disagree with you, uh, and it's if they if they don't make it into the Hall of Fame, these players, it wouldn't disappoint me terribly. Um, I would just disagree with it. Um, but I mean, someone like Scott Rowland, I think would I mean that that it would boggle my mind to not see him make the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think there's there's not really a case against him. Whereas in this case, I think there is there's definitely a case you can make against Bonds and Clemens. Um, uh, for their uh, performance-enhancing drugs or off-field issues, so that's my argument there. So uh, the with that, that is my that's nine players on my ballot. Um, the last player is a little bit similarly controversial, but also in a different light. I talked about the character clause a little bit earlier, and uh, my tenth guy is Kurt Schilling. Uh, Kurt Schilling, uh, it's uh, the discourse around Kurt Schilling in his Hall of Fame case is a little bit toxic. Um, Kurt Schilling has not proven to be a morally upstanding guy. Uh, definitely has said some things that are uh, not ideal. Uh, definitely not something that you like. And, and it's not, you know, it's not his political views uh, necessarily. Uh, it, you know, I, I'm not you know, voting against him because, you know, may, may or may not disagree with him politically, but it's, uh, it's things like the thing that, uh, bothered me the most personally was when he sort of implied, um, journalists, uh, should be hung at some point. Um, and you know, that's not something that, you know, that's, that's morally upright. It's not something that, uh, that should be, uh, awarded by any means. Uh, Again, at the same time, 
the the purpose of the Hall of Fame is to enshrine the best baseball players of their generation. And by all metrics, by all numbers, Kurt Schilling is a very easy Hall of Fame player. Uh, there's no statistical case that you can make against Kurt Schilling as a Hall of Fame player. Uh, the case you can make against him is some of the things that he has said and some of these sentiments that he has shown, not even necessarily political. Um, so I, I think that's definitely something to keep in mind. But again, going back to the character clause, talking about Todd Helton's DUI, um, someone could have gotten hurt there, right? Uh, but again, I'm not counting that against him because he was a phenomenal baseball player and the purpose of the Hall of Fame is to enshrine them as baseball players. Uh, and I, I guess, I mean, there are exceptions to that. Someone like like Marvin Miller uh, and, and Jackie Robinson, of course, even though, again, like I said, Jackie Robinson, uh, Hall of Fame player on and off the field very easily. Kurt Schilling, Hall of Fame player on the field, not a Hall of Fame guy off the field. So, you know, it's a difficult decision. Um, the character clause is difficult. It's a difficult topic. But Kurt Schilling, he was so dominant. Um, he was an incredible baseball player and statistically a Hall of Fame baseball player. Um, he has not actively um, hurt anyone, committed any crimes. So for that reason, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to invoke the character clause as much. Um, so I think I, I would, I would have to, in good conscience, um, for, you know, the ballot, the purposes of enshrining the best baseball players, putting the best baseball players in the hall of fame, uh, have Kurt Schilling as my 10th guy. So, um, after that sort of difficult discussion, I, I would like to move on to a couple of guys I would have voted for if I would have had more room. And there's three guys on this list. Uh, the first of which is Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent uh, is on a lot of ballots, and there's a, there's been a couple of Jeff Kent-only ballots, which really confuses me. Um, in terms of wins above replacement, he's below a lot of these guys. He put up 55 wins above replacement, which is definitely fairly below average for uh, a Hall of Fame player that's closer to, like, I don't know, Willie Keeler, Hank Greenberg, who lost a couple years of his career due to um, uh, World War II. Uh, I mean, Luis Aparicio. So, I mean, like these were some lower end Hall of Fame players. And I think, I mean, Jeff Kent, I think is, uh, he has an argument. He, he's a, a lower end Hall of Fame player. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I don't understand why Jeff Kent is getting votes over someone like Todd Helton, who I think had a significantly better career. I think I do know why. And it's because Jeff Kent did win an MVP in his career. But again, in my opinion, during that year, 2000, uh, that MVP, I mean, he just, he robbed that from Todd Helton. Todd Helton was better in every sense of everything. Better offensive player, better defensive player. It didn't make any sense to me why uh, Kent would have won that award. And I think uh, people, uh, Hall of Fame voters, just tend to lean, hey, this guy won a pretty big award. Let's give him, uh, let's reward him with, you know, Hall of Fame membership. So, uh, but, I mean, that's, it sounds like I don't want him in the Hall of Fame, which I think I do. He's a low-end Hall of Fame player. I just, you know, he didn't make the cut here. Also, uh, Gary Sheffield and Sammy Sosa, I think, also, you know, fit the bill for me in terms of, hey, these guys were incredible baseball players. Um, yes, they took performance-enhancing drugs. 
but they were they were fantastic baseball players, and I think they were Hall of Famers regardless. Uh, but I don't think my hesitation for these guys, these guys weren't as overwhelmingly Hall of Fame players as Manny Ramirez, Barry Bonds, or Roger Clemens. Uh, so I held them out to give an advantage to, say, Mark Burley, who I think deserves another shot, or Bobby Abreu, who I think also deserves a continuing conversation. Uh, someone who missed the cut for me. So all the first-year guys, really, except Mark Burley, missed the cut for me. A.J. Burnett, good pitcher, not a Hall of Fame player. Michael Kadire, Dan Heron, Latroy Hawkins, same thing. Uh, Latroy Hawkins actually has received a vote, which is crazy to me. Tim Hudson, Torrey Hunter. Um, I actually thought I would get to see a little bit more Torrey Hunter buzz, but I have not. Um, Aramis Ramirez, Nick Swisher, Shane Victorino, Barry Zito, all those first-year guys, the first-year ballot guys, doesn't really cut it for me. Uh, Mark Burley, I think, has a case, but he's really it. Um, Omar Vizquel had a ridiculous amount of votes last season. I think he had, in 2020, he had 52.6%, which was way too high. There there were players, uh, not players, there were voters last year who voted for Omar Vizquel and not Larry Walker, which, it just blew my mind. I don't understand what kind of case. I mean, Omar Vizquel was essentially an average shortstop who basically played, I don't know, 23, 24 years. So longevity was incredible. He wasn't that good. Like, he was good. He wasn't transcendent in any sense. So he just had a lot of good counting numbers, and I think that's what these guys look at. So um, I digress. I didn't vote for Omar Vizquel. He missed my cut. Uh, Also, Andy Pettit missed the cut for me. Uh, I think he, he has a case... Not a very strong one, in my opinion, so he would miss the cut. Um, so with that in mind, uh, that's every player on the ballot, and that's uh, that's how my ballot would have ended up. Uh, if you disagree with me, totally respect that. I understand. Um, tweet at me. Send me a message on Twitter. No, I'll definitely be down to discuss it with you. If you have any other questions, any uh questions about the Rockies transactions anything like that tweet at me at Cade C Walker on Twitter and as always thank you for tuning in to the 20th and Blake podcast from Mile High Sports and I'll talk to you next time